0: All right, so Psalm 145 uh, this morning, I've entitled this message, uh, Holy Habits. And I wanna begin by defining those two words then talking a little bit about that. The word holy is that which is distinct or separate from the common or profane. So something that's set apart for a special purpose. So when you you were young and maybe you had a certain uh, set of clothes that your mom only wanted you to wear in certain occasions, and if you wore those clothes outside she was unhappy with you. Uh, Those were, in a sense, holy clothes. They're set apart for a special purpose. So that's what it means to be holy, something set apart. It's not calm. It's not profane. And then the word habit is a recurring, I'm sorry, a recurrent, often unconscious pattern of behavior that is acquired through frequent repetition. We all understand what habits are, Right, We understand and we say, oh, I have these bad habits and I wish I had good habits. And and we talk about habits a lot, but we don't often consider how we get habits. And so I love what Dallas Willard has to say about this. The illustration that I've heard him use, and I've, I've been using it quite a bit in my own life, is he talks about the habit of driving a car. When you begin to drive a car, what happens is you have to think about everything, you have to think about, oh yeah, how is it that I, you know, put the blinker to turn left, and what is this and that, and what happens as you habitually learn to drive a car, it becomes un- unconscious so much so that if you've been driving for years, sometimes you get home after work and you wonder, how did I get here? <laughs> I don't remember which turns I took. I don't because it's just habitual. So you had to learn that, and it became this. It becomes uh, instinctual. It becomes unconscious because you've trained yourself. That's really important, and I was taught a, a lesson about this when, you know, our family went to Europe a few weeks back about how I have never been trained to drive on the left side of the road <laughs> or the steering wheel on the right side. I had to think about everything. Brandy had to pray about everything, you know, as we were driving along because it was, it was a stressful time, and so, but it's interesting because we were, we were so excited. Once we got back to Texas, it was like, this is easy. <laughs> we're just driving everywhere. But it's only because we made a habit of that. And that's really my hope for you and for me when it comes to walking out the Christian life. That it's not something we have to think about all the time. Oh man, just what am I supposed to do this moment? What am I supposed to do this moment? But by creating these holy habits, we learn in a situation, we just don't even think about it. It's like we see somebody upset and it's not, should I go talk to them? It's, let me go talk to them. Right, we've trained ourselves, so that's my hope, and it's hope that we see that as we move through Psalm 145. And so, as we jump into Psalm 145, one thing to understand is that this psalm is an acrostic. Okay, what that means is, in the original Hebrew, each of the lines starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's kind of a mini version of Psalm 119. Um, In Psalm 119, we had these sections of eight where every verse in that section of eight started with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it was all about the word of God. But here we have a a shorter psalm. We have, it's 21 uh, verses, and each of those verses start with a different letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and the focus isn't so much on the word of God. The focus is really on the choice to praise God. So that's my hope. That's my hope that we would um, make it a holy habit of praising God, a holy habit of worshiping God, that that would become just a normal aspect of our life, that it would, just as we don't have to think uh, about, you know, how am I gonna drive out of this parking lot if we've been driving for years? So we would train ourselves to just praise the Lord consistently. It's our habitual thing. It's not something we have to consider or think about or, or have I done it today? It's just the overflow of our lives. And so what I wanna focus on as we jump into this first verse as as throughout is notice how David, it's a praise of David, that David says, I will, a whole bunch of times. I will. What that tells us, if we're gonna create holy habits, they have to be by choice. We must choose to do something. This is not something that's gonna happen accidentally. This is not something that's gonna happen by coming to church once a week. It's not gonna happen. It has to be the normal, regular habit of our lives. And so he says here in verse one, I will extol you, my God, O King. So we have it right there. I will, that's a choice. Now, please remember, uh, think about it. You know this, but I'll just remind you, repeated choices become habits. Repeated choices become habits. You know, you have, have made it a choice to, to come regularly to church on Sunday morning. It's a habit for you, right? And, and so there's these things that we make, these repeated choices become habits. And uh, you know, usually on Fridays, I pick up Waterburger for myself and Ryan on the way home from school. And so it's funny that because I've, I've trained myself toward that, that it gets to be about 10 a.m. on Friday morning, I'm like, Whataburger's coming soon. <laughs> it's about to be time for Waterburger because I've trained myself. It's it's, it's my natural habit. So that's what we have to choose to do. If we wanna praise God and say, I have to make this choice, I will do this thing. Not I feel like doing this or I might do it, but I'm gonna choose to do it. Now that word extol here in verse one, it means to exalt or lift up. To exalt or lift up. And we do this all the time. Right with, with authors that we enjoy, you know, if, if I had you fill out a form, what are Steve's favorite authors? You would be able to do that. I've extolled them. I've lifted them up. We do this with artists. We do this with musicians. We do this with athletes. We extol them. We lift them up. And, and so when it comes to extolling God, what we should do is we should make a habit of choosing to speak well of God. Choosing to speak well of God. Choosing to say good things about God. Um, choosing to lift him up, choosing to focus on his attributes, on all the things that he does. And so as we do that, it actually becomes a habit. Becomes a habit. Now, uh, if you know, you're saying, wow, just kind of like, how do I start with that? I would really suggest reading The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer uh, goes through these different attributes of God and it's very, very helpful just to remind you of who God is and what he's like. And you know, as I was thinking about this, putting this study together, people have rightly challenged me. People who love me have rightly challenged me. Steve, you don't speak well of God. Because there's times, you know, situations are hard. Things are not like I want them to be. And I say things kind of like, you know how you say things jokingly, but you really mean it? You know, and I'll say things like, well, God's probably out to get me. You know, I just I guess I've done something wrong and he's he's really just up in heaven wanting to flick me around right that kind of attitude and people have rightly challenged me that's not God. <laughs> that's not how God does things. That that's not how he treats people. And so it's really important for us to believe that God wants the best for us that God is good, and to be reminded of that, and to make that the habitual thing that comes out of our mouth. Because actually, whenever we say things about God that, is not, that are not true, we're bearing false witness. It's, it's still wrong to bear false witness. And so it's important for us to get in that habit of saying, well, who is God? What is he like? And again, if we're confused about that, go back to Christ. Go back to the Gospels because it says about Jesus that in him, in Jesus, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so if you want to know what what God is like, you want to be reminded, is God good? Is he righteous? Does he love me? Then go back to Jesus Christ and you'll see that he does, that he is good, that he is righteous. So extol, extol God, lift him up. And then he says, I will extol you, my God, O King. I will extol you, my God, O King. Now, Um, What I want to focus on, first of all, is that he says, my God, okay? Now, we're, we're used to people saying, my God, as an exclamation, right? Just kind of as a flippant, not thinking, exclamation when something happens. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about a personal relationship. David has a personal relationship with God. And so please understand, if you are a believer, he is your God. If you are a believer, you can say today, God is my God he's my God. You belong to him and he belongs to you. Now it's an interesting thing because when we say things like this, we may kind of wonder well, what do you mean by he belie- it belongs to me? Because we have this wrong view sometimes of if something belongs to me, I can do whatever I want with it. And that's not true. Just because your car belongs to you doesn't mean that you can just ram it into somebody else, right? You're a steward, Okay, so that doesn't, that's not what it's talking about with my God. What it means by my God is that, is that you are in relationship with him and he is in relationship with you. That's what it means. Um, in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter six, verse three, it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Now, the immediate context is marriage. If you've read Song of Solomon, right, you need to be over a certain age <laughs> to read a Song of Solomon, uh, you know it's about a husband and wife. But as I was thinking about that, this is just the verse that the Lord put on my heart as I was putting this study together. And then as I began to think more about it, well, this really applies to Christ and the church, right? Because Christ, it says the church is the bride of Christ. So that sort of relationship, there's gonna be that, that fulfillment of relationship. So that's something that you can say today, you can practice, make a choice to say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. I am Jesus's and Jesus is mine. And that's really, really important that we begin to cultivate, that's the kind of relationship we have with with Jesus, that we should be closer with him than we are to any person on earth. The closest person we are to on earth, our spouse um, is is usually, hopefully, the person you're closest to. If you're married, it should be your spouse, but you should be even closer to the Lord. So he's he's my God. And then next thing David says, "O king, he's my God, O king. God is our king. God is our ruler. God is our sovereign. He is the boss. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that God is our boss. And here's one reason why. You don't need to pretend to be boss anymore. You don't need to pretend to be boss anymore. You don't need to pretend like you've got it figured out. You don't need to pretend like if you just make enough choices and make enough right moves that it's going to go according to plan because you don't know if it is. So when you realize that you're not the boss that you're merely a steward of what God's given, you're a subject in his kingdom that actually brings incredible freedom. And so for you and I, we, we, we struggle in this area because we want control. And so what I would encourage you, I would encourage me to go back to Psalm 23 again and again to believe it and to live it, to realize that he's the boss, he's the shepherd and we're merely the sheep. David continues on and he says here, and I will bless your name forever and ever. That word blessed there really speaks of um, honoring. He'll honor God's name forever and ever. And what does it mean for, to honor God's name? Well, name speaks of a, a reputation. It speaks of fame. It speaks of glory. Um, when I was growing up, you know, the, the name that if person just said this one name, you knew everything that was going on, it was Jordan. When I was growing up, it was Jordan. That's all you had, that, that one name. And then you would know all these things, all these championships and these scoring titles and, and the best of all time and all of that. You understood that. So the name of God, and when you say God, we have to say, well, what, what, who does he represent? You know, what does he represent? Who he is, uh, his character, his attributes, his activities, all of those things. So the more you and I study the word of God and get to know the God of the word, then we'll realize, oh, we can praise his name because he did this, and he did that, and he does this, and he's promised to do this in the future, and it becomes this overflow in our lives. And then he continues on. Notice, uh, and I will bless your name forever and ever, forever and ever. What is, what is David saying He's saying, I'm not gonna ever outgrow honoring God. There's never gonna be a day where it's not a good day to honor God. And again, what do we have here? A choice repeated becomes a habit. David is choosing, and he says, I want this to be the, 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 the repetition, the chorus of my life that I'm blessing God's name, that I'm blessing his name over and over and over and over. And, and so if we can just you know, kind of seek to make that a holy habit, of like every day when people run into us, they're gonna know this is a person who blesses God's name. This is a person who honors God. This is a person who's seeking first the kingdom. All of those things, then what's gonna happen is that's going to influence others, right? The, the people who have influenced me most in life have been those people who solidly sought the Lord. They weren't wishy-washy. They weren't up and down. They were people who knew the Lord and walked with him, and I benefited from that in their lives, Let's move on to verse two now. We see, every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. So essentially the same thing, right? This repetition, and then we're gonna see that a lot and you've seen that a lot through the Psalms and we need this repetition because we need to keep the main things the main things. This world siren call is constantly pulling us away from the truth, trying to get us to form new bad habits trying, to, trying to, to suck us into to what they think is important. And so we're gonna to have to fight against that. Now, I love this every day here. So it's a reminder that every day is a good day to bless the Lord. Every day. Every day I will bless you. Not about Sundays, not about this, not about, it's every day, you know? Uh, any day that ends in Y is a good day to bless the Lord. And I love what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter six, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Now in context, he's talking about every day. In context, he's saying not about worrying, not about fearing, but instead every day seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's where life is found. That's the habit. And the good news is, this this seeking one day we're going to find ourselves in God's eternal kingdom now please understand if you're a believer in Jesus Christ you're a part of the kingdom now right you're a part of the kingdom right now wherever you go you're bringing the kingdom with you we might put it this way you're an ambassador of the kingdom God's kingdom lives within you, um, and so wherever you go, you bring the influence of his kingdom, because a kingdom is anywhere a king has influence, and so in your life, if the king of kings has influence in your life, then you're bringing his kingdom near, and so we just keep doing that, keep living that, and guess what? One day, you're going to end up in his eternal kingdom, One day, you're going to be in his heavenly kingdom, and so we might as well start making it a habit of living out his kingdom now, because that's where we're going to dwell forever. Why not get used to who we're always going to be? Verse three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Again, similar theme, a very similar theme. We're stacking these themes. They're repeated for emphasis. But what I want to focus on here in verse three is the fact that his greatness is unsearchable. That word unsearchable means beyond our understanding, unfathomable, unfathomable. You know, if, if you ever um, read books or, uh, about the sea or you know those things, uh, the way they measure in the sea is the fathoms. Right, And so they used to have these different methods to be able to to try to see how deep it was. So if something was unfathomable, that means they didn't have any kind of instruments for getting to the bottom. They they didn't have any kind of instrumentation to figure out just how deep it was. And so that's when it comes to God and his greatness. You're never going to have an instrumentation to reach the end of it. It's unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. You're never gonna come to a full understanding of it. And so um, I've counseled many people and I counsel students about this. They start thinking about eternity. They start getting freaked out, right? And like, ah, just eternity, it's forever. And I just say, hey, God is infinite. You're never gonna come to the end of him. There's gonna be always something new to find out about God. And then each and every believer in heaven is also gonna be growing. So each and every believer is gonna become more interesting as well. And so it's, it's exciting for us to think about the, that God's greatness is unfathomable, it's unsearchable, and I would really, really encourage you guys to start making a, a playlist of worship songs, and then to that talk about this, okay? There's, there's one, it's a very simple song, but it's called Never See the End, and the chorus goes like this, we will never see the end, we will never see the end of your goodness. And as I listen to that song, as I contemplate it, and and I have a little caveat for you guys. As you're getting these worship songs, I want you to listen to these worship songs well. And if worship songs are teaching something false, dump it from your playlist. (laughs) But any ones that that tell biblical truth, I hold on to them. And so as I listen to that song and just think about that that we're going to live for eternity and we're never going to come to the end of God's goodness. We're going to see new aspects of it, new elements of it all throughout eternity. This is very exciting. This is a reason for praise. Let's move on to verse four now. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now what we see here in verse four, David is pointing out the importance of habitually sharing what God has done in your life with the next generation. So, so what God has shared with you to the next generation, also what you've learned about God from the scriptures, share that with the next generation. So would you turn to Deuteronomy with, for just a moment? Deuteronomy chapter six, verses one through seven. This section of scripture is gonna be part of what Brandy and I share on next Saturday as we've been given the, the teaching on the mission of marriage and, and the role of children in the mission of marriage. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, let's look at verses one through seven. It says, now this is the commandment. So this is Moses. Okay, and then to give you some context, this is Moses uh, shortly before the Lord takes him out. (laughs) Moses isn't gonna be allowed to go into the promised land. Uh, The the Lord is going to um, remove him from this world. And so here he's giving these, these final instructions for this new generation that's about to go into the promised land. He says, now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. So they're about to go into Canaan. He says, that you may fear the Lord your God and keep all his commandments and his commandments which I command you. Here, notice, command you, you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. And so here we see that that it's to be to generation after generation after generation. It's to be passed on. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And here it is, the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then we have the, the greatest commandment. Verse five, it's just packed with stuff here you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and here it is, verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And so it's a beautiful picture of teaching the next generation. Now, different families do it different ways. Right, some families may have like you know devotional time together and they'll sit down and family devotions, and, and that's one way of doing it. Okay, other families that it's just like the, the the parents live this out, and it's the overflow of their lives, and there's teachable moments, and they're sharing truth, and and you know there's this idea of oftentimes you know it's it's better caught than taught that people see how we live our lives, our children see how we live our lives, and then they see, okay, this is what's important to mom and dad, and so I'm either going to to follow after that or maybe think about it or whatever the case may be. But there's an important point I wanna bring out as we think about this, this command for us to share God's word, God's truth with the next generations, and it's simply this, that as believers, we're to share the word of God and the works of God with the next generation but, but we can't believe for them. Please hear me. We are to share the word of God and the works of God with the next generation. But we can't believe for them. You can't believe for your children. Just like my parents can't. You know they can't believe for me. You can't believe for me. I can't believe for you. It's it's a personal relationship. And so you know, as I was thinking about this, there's there's many things I believe about Jesus. All right? I, I believe what the scriptures say about Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the, is the, the most uh, wonderful person in human history. He, he is the person I love most in this world. All of those things, I believe all that. And you could look at me and say, well, Steve, that's great. But at the same time, if you, you're gonna have to believe those same things for yourself. right? It's not enough for me to believe it. And so I can share truth with you, but I can't believe for you. Same thing with our kids. Share truth with them, but it's between ultimately between they and the Lord if they're gonna believe or not. And that, that really gets a lot of parents twisted up. It's gotten me twisted up. Because I think if I just do enough, you know, if I just ooh, squeeze and make things happen, and that's not how it works. So it's really important for us. Okay, what's my job? To share truth with the next generation. And, and it's not only about your kids, though, right? It's about other people that you meet. It's about sharing truth with them and then trusting that they're gonna have to believe. Let's move now back to Psalm 145 and we'll continue on with verse five. It says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. That word meditate there, it means to muse on, consider, think on, or even to converse with oneself. Now, if we see somebody walking along talking to themselves, we think, well, we hopefully, the we, we first thing we look for is, well, maybe they have like AirPods in and they're on a phone call, <laughs> uh, but then we think, ooh, something might not be right with that person, okay? But there's a certain sense in where we should kind of talk over the truth of God with ourselves, to meditate on it, to think about it, to consider it. And so verse five here, what we see is really meditating on God's majesty, who he is, the wonder of who he is, and also to meditate on God's work, what he's done. So those are two separate things, who God is and what he's done. So to think about both of those things is important. Now, obviously they're tied together, uh, but they're things for us to consider. This brings us back to verses that I shared last week, Colossians chapter three, verses one and two. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So it's a, again, that's a choice, right? It's a habit, seeking and setting. Seeking things above, setting my mind on things above. The world, please remember, wants you to set your mind on things below. Why? Because that's how they make money off of you. The, I don't believe there's any kind of, you, you guys can argue with me later, but I don't believe there's any grand conspiracy other than people want money. People want money and people want to do what they wanna do. Now, Satan uses that, right? The, the, the demonic powers uses that, but I don't think the people are thinking, oh, let me have just a vast conspiracy. People are just thinking, I wanna do whatever I wanna do and I wanna make as much money as I can doing it. So, so Satan uses that, so it's what are, what are we to do? We're to seek our, th- those things above and set our mind on things above make that our habit. Verse six says, men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. And so I love this declare, that word declare there, I will declare your greatness. And we see the I will again, so there's a choice, right? But the declare, it means to number or take account of. To, to number or take account of. In other words, this is a choice to recount God's greatness. So think about if you were to do this, if I were to do this, we go back to Genesis 1, and we start in Genesis 1, and we start taking an account of God's greatness. The fact that he makes everything out of Nothing. <laughs> and that he makes all of these beings, that he makes these people, that he for, forgives after Adam and Eve sin, and he covers them with these, and we begin to just move through the scriptures taking an account of God's greatness, and so it's an amazing thing. Now, for you and I, again, a helpful thing to do is if we wanna get in the habit of declaring God's greatness and of thinking about it, of, of, you know, numbering it, taking an account of it, again, listen to worship music and read A.W. Tozer, <laughs> Those are are a couple of places I would really encourage you to go. Verse seven says, they shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. This word utter is a very interesting word. It means to eagerly utter, right? You're like really chatty about it. Uh, It means to bubble forth or gush forth or flow. So the idea here, is that as we just kind of f- focus on God's greatness, as we kind of number it, as we account of it, as we think about it, it begins to bubble up in our lives. It begins to come out, right? There's, there's an old saying um, that uh, whatever's in your well comes up in your bucket. <laughs> whatever's in your well comes up in your bucket, right? Jesus said it a little more poetically when he says, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, but it's that same idea. So if you fill your well, if I fill my well with God's goodness and his greatness, that's going to come forth. And I love the imagery that Jesus used in John chapter 7, verse 38. He says, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so he spoke that about the Holy Spirit. So I think All of this that we see here in Psalm 125 in these holy habits, we're not to just do them on our own, but we're to make these choices in conjunction, in fellowship, in submission to the Holy Spirit. And so as we submit to the Holy Spirit, as we allow the Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes, to help us to understand the scriptures, then what's gonna happen is there's gonna be this overflow of of talking about God and expressing, you know, worship to God and and being trust in God and faith in God. And so really, if we want to be those people who have that that, um, bubbling forth, that gushing forth, then we should ask the Holy Spirit to to place these things in our heart, to bring them to our remembrance, and to overflow us that we might minister to others, might be a refreshment to other people. Continuing on in verse 7, he says, and shall sing of your righteousness. That word seeing is an interesting word for seeing. It really means to cry out or to shout for joy. Cry out or shout for joy. And then the word righteousness, it's an attribute of God, and it's simply this, that God always does the right thing. God always does the right thing. There's never been a time in eternity past or going on to eternity future where God hasn't done the right thing. Now, we've often second-guessed God. Right? We've often, all of us, I don't know what God's doing here and why would he do this? And if I were God and all of those things, that's a natural part of being a a fallen, limited, sinful human being. We're going to say those things. But here's the deal. When all the accounts are settled, we're going to see, I was wrong. (laughs) God always did the right thing. And so making it a habit to sing of God's righteousness, making it a habit to always say, God does the right thing, God will do the right thing. So worshiping on Sunday morning through song is a good start. It's a good place to begin to sing of God's um, righteousness, but it shouldn't stop there. It should be a continual thing for us. Now, we're going to pick up the pace, and it's in my notes. It says right here, need to pick up the pace. (laughs) Uh, we are to, yes, uh, I knew how this was going to go, and so we're to habitually remind ourselves of these truths, so we're going to move a little faster as we continue on through this psalm. All right, verses 8 and 9, it says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. Now, uh, I'm going to stop here for just a second and to uh, something I was, I was doing a little more study this morning and reading back through this. And so in some Jewish traditions, they would actually read this psalm, Psalm 145, three times a day, twice in the morning and once at night. You know, and I, I don't, you know, that's maybe not a bad thing for us to do from time to time to just read through this psalm, just to remind ourselves of these truths, to tell ourselves of these truths. And and I love that verses eight and nine are are just pregnant with meaning. Verses eight and nine, there's so much good stuff for this, but I wanna just sum up verses eight and nine is that God is good and he wants the best for us, okay? God is good and he wants the best for us. Now, please understand though, what's best for us is not necessarily whatever we want, Because truth be told, though we're much more sophisticated than the three-year-old in the cart at HEB in the checkout line, we would never throw that big a fit for Reese's, (laughs) but we do it in different ways. We basically say things to God like, if you love me, you'd give me this or that. If you love me, you did this or that. And and so what we need to remind ourselves is it's not about how I feel. It's not about what I think is good for me. The reality, the truth, the bedrock of of existence is that God is good and he wants the best for us. And so that's important. And so I want to remind you, please hear me. No one is more interested in your good than God is. Not your kids, not your spouse, not yourself. No one is is more interested in your good than God is. And so the job for you and I is to habitually remind ourselves of this. All right, I'm just, you know, though he may slay me, yet I will praise him. No matter what's going on, I'm just gonna keep believing this truth. And and no one's gonna get to heaven and say, man, I wish I hadn't trusted God quite so much. I really wish I hadn't believed in his goodness quite so much. It'll be the opposite. Once we get him face to face, we'll say things like, how could I have ever doubted? So, So what we want to make a habit of is we want to train ourselves to be those kingdom citizens. We want to train ourselves to say, you know what? I'm just going to believe him. I'm going to trust him in this. Let's move on to verse 10. It says, all your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. So God's works rightfully praise him. The things that God has done, it praises him. It gives glory to him and it reveals his praiseworthiness. And so we see these, these works, that he has works in nature, his majesty is revealed, his creativity is revealed, his magnitude is revealed. Then we have his works in our lives. It reveals his attention to us. It reveals his mercy toward us, his love toward us. And so it's, it's wonderful as we just contemplate God's works, then it, this, it brings us overflow into our lives. Now, the next verses here, they focus on kingdom. I want you to see this in verses 11 through 13. It says, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion throughout all generations. So, a lot of kingdom talk here. And so I did a little word search, and uh, I didn't do this by hand. They are computers. <laughs> but the, the word kingdom shows up in the New Testament 152 times. Okay? And almost all of those, not every single one, but the majority, the, the, the vast majority, speak of God's kingdom. All right? And that's really, really important. Because as Americans, if we're honest, we don't think about kings and kingdoms too much. We're much more concerned with, oh man, what is this? In Congress, can they get their act together and who's going to be the next president? And, all kinds of, and it's so easy for us to be distracted. So easy for us to be fixated on these temporary things that, that, are, that are not what we're to be about. What we're to be about is serving our king, realizing that we are part of a kingdom. And so it's very, very vital. So uh, please habitually remind yourself that you are a subject of God's eternal kingdom. That you are a subject of God's eternal kingdom. Now the day is coming where God is going to allow you to rule and reign with him, okay? God is gonna allow you to do those things. You and I are not ready for that just yet, (laughs) We're going to need some resurrected bodies. We're going to need those kind of things. But for now, we're a part of God's eternal kingdom. We're subjects of that kingdom, and so we should live that way. Let me give you a few verses that speak to this truth. Matthew 4, 17, it says, And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if the kingdom of heaven was at hand and Jesus is first coming, we know that it's at hand today that it continues on through believers as they submit themselves to Christ and live out that kingdom life. Then Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, and this is before Pontius Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be um, delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. So in other words, Jesus is saying that, 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 you know, my kingdom is greater than this world system. My kingdom is above this. And so we need to remind ourselves of that, that we're to um, minister while we're here, but our kingdom is above. And then Colossians 1.13, I love this. A beautiful, beautiful verse. I would encourage you to contemplate it. He says, Paul writes, he, that's God the Father, has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And so we've been taking out, if you're a believer, you've been taken out of that kingdom of the power of darkness and you've been c- conveyed, you've been delivered into the kingdom of the son of his love. A beautiful, beautiful thing to consider. All right, let's move on now to verse 14 of Psalm, Psalm 145. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and he raises up all who are bowed down. And so God cares for and attends to the fallen and the burdened. God cares for and attends to the fallen and the burden. And so uh, for a little bit more on this, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 11 for a moment? Matthew chapter 11, I want to look at verses uh, 28 through 30. I think it'll be a familiar passage to many of you. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so that's, that's what he wants to do in our lives. The, the, the Lord, um, he wants to come to us as we're burdened and worn down and tired. And he says, hey, let's take these yokes of the world off. Let's take those things that you've put on, let's take off the legalism or you know, the self-interest or whatever it is. Let's take all that stuff off, and then be yoked to me. And so you and I, this is a, these are hard verses for us, because they're telling us that if we're going around continually as believers and we're just we, we can't ever you know, get our head up, then likely we're taking on some burdens that Jesus hasn't put on us that we're likely have something on us that we're holding on to that we need to let go of. We need to be yoked to him because he says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 145, if you will, verses 15 and 16. It says, "'The eyes of all look expectantly to you, "'and you give them their food in due season. "'You open your hand and satisfy the desire "'of every living thing.'" Um, and so this simply is reminding us that God is the provider of life and of all that sustains life. God is the pro- provider of life and of all that sustains life. And, and that he's, you know, people wonder, it's like, oh, how do these things work and how these gravitational forces work and how are molecules held together and all that kind of stuff. God's the one who holds them together. Scripture says that he, that he holds all things together by the word of his power. That's how it is. And so it's a reminder that everything that we've ever been given our entire life has been something that God has provided for us, that he is the great provider and sustainer. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. So God is always good and gracious. God's always good and gracious. Admittedly, it doesn't seem that this is true. We can look at individual circumstances and say, doesn't seem it here, doesn't seem like it here, doesn't seem like it here. Talked about that a little bit earlier, but I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, judge nothing before the time. The time isn't to judge these things yet, to realize though that God's gonna bring it all together. He's gonna work it all together for the good. He says that in Romans eight twenty eight through the apostle Paul. And so it's just a reminder to us, hey, God's always good and gracious. I don't know how this thing's gonna turn out right now, but I'm confident he's gonna turn it for the good. Verses 18 through 20 The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him and those who uh, hear him, their cry and save them. I'm sorry, he will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Okay, so some things here to be reminded of. The Lord hears and is near to those who call upon him. Okay, I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you, you know, you kind of walk in maybe to your house and you start calling for somebody and they're like right next to you. (laughs) They're right there. And that's how it is with you and the Lord, right? You call out to the Lord and he's like, oh, you're you're right there. (laughs) That's how near the Lord is to us. He hears us. He's near to us. But also we're told here in these verses, we must call upon him in truth. So in other words, if, if we're like calling and we have hypocrisy in our heart or, or we're saying these words, but we don't really believe it, then the Lord's going to, he's going to let us say those things, but it's going to, we're going to have to work that out with him before he'll, he'll respond to it. So we must call upon him in truth. And, and, and um, I believe a, a good rule is when somebody knows everything about you, you might as well just tell them the truth, right? There's no lying to God. He knows everything about you. He knows what you're really thinking. He knows your heart. So you might as well just tell him the truth. And then also we're told in verses 18 through 20 that we must fear him, right? There must be that reverential awe, that respect of of understanding who he is, that proper proper respect for who he is and compared to us. And then the final thing we see in in verses 18 through 20 is that the Lord will destroy the unrepentant wicked. That's the reality. For those who fail to repent, they will be destroyed. That's what the scripture teaches. All right, final verse, verse 21 says, my mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. I love this. So this is a good wrap up. And and so basically David made the choice to worship the Lord habitually and would exhort us to do the same. So that's the best thing that you and I can do. If we're saying, man, it's great to, to worship the Lord, to develop these holy habits, and I would really love for all those people around me to do it too. The best thing you can do for them is actually just to have those habits yourself. That's the best thing you can do. The best thing you can do is, is to be that example, right? What did Jesus say about the Pharisees? Hey, don't listen, you know, you listen to their words, but don't follow their actions because they, they say, but don't do. Let's not be people who are merely sayers. Let's be sayers and doers, And as we do that, we're going to influence those around us. So repeated choices become habits. Repeated choices become habits. And repeated godly choices become holy habits. We all have habits we wish we hadn't trained ourselves toward. We all have habits. We're like, oh man, I'd be better off without that. So let's have repeated godly choices to become holy habits. So let's close with uh, three holy habits that will benefit you and I taken from these Uh, taken from this this psalm number one choose to focus on the goodness of God choose to focus on the goodness of God now whatever it takes in your life and how God's individually made you whatever it's going to take for you to fixate focus believe in the goodness of God do that do that and I don't know if it's going to be reading toes or listening to worship music or you know, reading certain Psalms every day or whatever, the, whatever it is. You, you and the Lord figure that out. But, but fixate, focus, choose to do that every day. Focus on the goodness of God. Number two, choose to share the words and works of God with the next generation. As you do that, what, what the wonderful thing it'll do is it'll remind you that this story that God's telling isn't about you. It's about all of us. It'll remind you that, hey, I I want to share these truths with others. I I want to bless them. I want them to grow up in the Lord. I want them to to experience the goodness of God. And so choose to share the words and works of God with the next generation. And thirdly and finally, choose to live as a subject of God's kingdom because he is your king. Realize he's the boss. He's the one that as you submit to him, and as you look forward to his kingdom, you're gonna be living that kind of life he would like you to live. All right, let's pray.